I think, you know, a good marketer is, you know, an innately curious person, always yeah. wanting to know, always wanting to understand, and they're a life, a lifelong learner. And yeah. I think that's critical. Welcome to The Get, the marketing talent podcast. This is your host, Erica Seidel. We explore what it takes to get and keep the best marketing leaders in the B2B SaaS world. Welcome to The Get. I'm Erica Seidel, and my guest today is Kieran Hannon. Kieran is the CMO for OpenPath Security, the company that has taken on the mission of improving workplace safety and security through touchless access control. So the company combines hardware with its software as a service. Kieran was previously CMO of Belkin. Earlier in his career, he was VP of marketing for Radio Shack, um, a store that I've been in many times uh, in the past. Um, he was recently named to the Forbes list of the world's 50 most influential CMOs. Woohoo! So, Kieran, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. It's always wonderful to be chatting with you. Thank you very much. Fabulous. Well, let's get started. Um, can you, like, I, what I want to talk about today is kind of trends that we are foreseeing when it comes to B2B SaaS and CMOs in 2021. I would love for you to just um, tell me about one trend that you foresee for next year. Uh, sure. I mean, obviously, uh, this, these last nine, nine, ten months have been, uh, you know, <laughs> no one could have predicted, albeit so some folks had plans on the desk for them, but no one could have predicted what happened. So uh, it's definitely, as Scott Galloway would say, it's definitely been an accelerant uh, for a lot of businesses. Some in, in a positive way, they've improved, and others, unfortunately, has been a negative. But that being said, as it relates to our customers, our users, I think it's, I think it's fair to say across companies, a wide range of categories, nothing is sacrosanct anymore. There are no sacred cows uh, within organizations that have to be protected when it uh, comes to kind of addressing consumer needs. And what I mean by that is, you know, historically, if you, if you are uh, joining an organization, there's already a bunch of plans in place, right? Plans that have been years in the making, years in the doing, historical uh, programs and events that you always hear someone say, oh, you can't touch that because that does X, right? Those are now gone by the wayside. And as a marketer, there's no better time for you to be doing proper planning and budgeting for how to address end user needs across all the various channels, paid, earned, and owned, right? So, you know, you can't, you don't have somebody trying to steal part of your budget for an in-person event because the company's done it for the last 25 years. That's no longer the case. So as a marketer, you should have nothing holding you back in creating those plans that really allow you to have a, a really meaningful, uh, ongoing dialogue with your end user. Yeah, yeah. Do you have an example from your own recent experience of of uh, kind of you know blowing the sacred cow off the table? Well, fortunately, where I am currently, um, we have a product that addresses uh, a user need, right? Which is like touchless access, and it's something that was born out of the frustration of people losing their key cards going into the office or misplacing. How often mm -hmm. have you done that, right? You know, our research has shown one in four misplaces their key card every week. And it, it, it prevents a security issue because you then borrow a second card. That card might get lost. And suddenly you have no understanding as a company 
who has all these cards out there that are very unsecure? And so the team in OpenPath, that was the genesis for it, when Verizon uh, acquired their previous company, they had all these key cards and said, you know, everyone's got one of these in their pocket, which is a smartphone, which is a supercomputer. It's crazy that we're not using this to solve that high level of friction. And that's what they did. You can leave your phone in your pocket. The app doesn't need to be open. Uh, it recognizes that you're authorized to enter that door. You just wave your hand in front of the reader and then you go. So that's what we mean about touchless access. So that, that as a huge market differentiator has now become a market necessity as companies uh, reopen safely, right? It's another way that they demonstrate both safety with security. So we're very fortunate in that the team, you know, had that foresight to create a product that's now a necessity. But when you think about, you asked about examples and talking to some of my peers in, in other industries, some that are, are quite regulated, like let's say fin financial services. Uh, you know, two CMOs in particular I can point to that have kind of talked about in the past how much, you know, they wanted to update their website, how much you wanted to overhaul their website, not just update it, and that the resources were never available uh, because it wasn't deemed a, a market priority. The channel was important for these financial services company. Traditional retail brick and mortar was important and relationships were important. But as soon as the pandemic hit, that went out the window, then all of a sudden these CMOs were told, okay, let's do that, that project that you had, uh, you know, you pitched a number of times, but we need to do it in three months and you've all the money you need because now that's the only way that they can engage with their end user is through a digital experience. And so mm -hmm. those are some, I think, really strong examples in fintech. Education is another one that's moving quite quickly uh, in some respects to you know, a digital world. Whether or not that's good or bad remains to be seen, but they're certainly making that, that pivot. Uh, and there's other industries you know, uh, that, that you see where they're, they're an accelerant in, in the space. And you know, companies like Customer, who's actually Customers, it begins with K, you just read today that they're being acquired by Facebook, right? So you have these companies expanding and not just solving one part of the solution for the workplace, but now a number of solutions. Salesforce is another great example of doing it that as well with their work initiative, helping companies reopen. Yeah, right. You said to me previously that um, something kind of provocative, which is that, well, there's no, no one, one, one thing as a CMO, like the CMO role, it just varies so much. And I know that you've owned customer care before. Um, you've had kind of a broader set of responsibilities. One in one case, like helping to sell the company. Can you, and that's kind of a sacred cow in and of itself that, you know, the CMO doesn't fit into narrow bounds. Um, maybe they never did, but um, you know, I think it depends on the company. Can you talk more about that? Like, you know, and, and if there is a CMO role and it varies so much, how should a CEO who is trying to figure out what they need in, a, in hiring a CMO, how should they tackle that, um, that challenge? Sure, I, a great question. Thank you, Erica. So my belief is there's no one CMO role the same universally. It's very unique and different by company type, by sector type, by team type, by culture, by objectives, by the team itself, right? Are, are you inheriting a team? Are you growing a team? Are you growing markets? Are you involved in product innovation? And so forth. So I think it really, really varies. I, I'll give you an example. My previous role at, at Belkin International, um, 
when I was in conversations to join the company with the founder, Chet Pipkin, who at that time had founded the company 31 years ago in his parents' garage, right? So the original SoCal LA startup story, right? <laughs> he founded the company himself and ran the company for that whole time. Chet, um, you know, when, when I was joining, you know, the conversations we were having about what, he, what his goals were for Belkin, the brand, and so forth. And lo and behold, uh, when I actually joined the company, he just acquired Linksys. So how quickly did those conversations change, right? Suddenly it's not just one brand, it's now two brands. It's a brand uh, that is really strong in consumer electronics and accessory space. The Belkin brand, 31-year-old brand, uh, well-known. Uh, at one point, you know, people, 95% of the US population had a Belkin product. And so uh, university respected, and all of a sudden there's now a second brand in Wi-Fi and networking with both a B2B and B2C audience. So, you know, that's an example of the agility mindset a CMO needs to have. If you are very templated, if you're very cookie cutter, I think that you're limiting the ability, your ability to have an impact on the company and also the company's ability to succeed. So I'll give you an example. As I was joining the company and, and Linksys acquired, Chet you know, said to me, Kieran, I want you to run customer care, the customer advocacy team at uh, Belkin. And you know, that was a big, big task in of itself. And this is in addition to you know, building out a marketing uh, team globally, looking at the right structure, the right organization, the right objectives and so forth. And so I was like, well, Chet, I've got a lot on my plate. You really think that's, you know, one more thing is, is the right thing to be doing right now, right through this acquisition. And he was very, very uh, insightful in, in pointing out that, you know, customer care actually is the voice of the customer and marketing's role is the voice of the customer. It's one more avenue to fully understand and appreciate what's going on in the marketplace. He was so right. And so, you know, it was a Belkin over six years, but I ran customer care for the first three years. And over that, the first three years, I was able to figure out the elements of custom care that was important to the marketing equation around the voice of the customer in both the traditional channels and then the pioneering social media customer care. And then the operational parts of customer care and working with our CIO at the time, I was able to move those elements into an operational role under that person's responsibility. So I kept the best parts of the customer care organization related to marketing and the parts that weren't adding any value any longer that I could do, I moved into an operational role. And so that's an example of an agility of a CMO that I think is inherent of any good CMO is the ability to, to recognize uh, kind of the, the task at hand and whether the task is a long-term task that you're going to uh, be fully responsible for over time or elements of it make sense and you can move other elements out. One trend that I'm forecasting um, is that, and that I'm seeing already, is that companies will want CMOs with experience in their, their industry more than before. And I think it, it might sound restrictive because some CMOs will say, well, I can plug into any industry. Um, but I think it can be actually pretty positive because companies are looking for a CMO to not be a support function. They want the CMO to kind of participate broadly beyond the marketing swim lane, like you've talked about before. I like to think of it as business leader first, marketer second. Um, curious to hear your take on that. Agree, disagree, you know, more, will we see more of this um, kind of appetite for um, experience, experience in a particular industry? 
I love how you say that business leader first, marketer second. I think that's the that is the true hallmark of a great uh, CMO. Um, and, and I have an interesting point of view on this. So it really depends on the sector that the company is in and the makeup of the management team. If they're strong in the category that they're in, they've got good knowledge, adding one more person with that market knowledge may not have as much of an impact as someone who is a great um, business leader and a great marketer who knows how to ask the right questions. I think that's critical, right? How do you get to the right answers? And there's a process for that. And uh, that inquisitive nature, being able to not be blinded because that's how the industry's always acted, but being able to look at it from a different perspective. Like even at OpenPath, right? Uh, you know, if, if, uh, if the industry is a 40-year-old legacy industry, uh, we're a cloud-based IoT uh, company. Most of, the, most of the legacy brands, if not all of them, are still a non-prem type solution, whereas they have servers on site that haven't been upgraded because it requires a truck roll, right? And so if we had individuals that were coming out of the industry, you might be very biased to say, well, no, that's not how it's done. We have to have it on-prem, X, Y, Z. So I think that can have a negative impact as well. So the way mm -hmm. I would talk to about it is you want a, a management team member to complement your existing team, not to duplicate it. And, and it's always a red flag for me if someone's insistent on kind of duplicating part of their team, I feel like they're limiting the potential of that team and limiting the potential of that organization. So that to me always tends to be a red flag. Now there's mm -hmm. good reasons why you might need somebody with, with the sector knowledge, particularly if it's heavily regulated. Um, but that said, all things being equal, I would always look for the right business leader, the right marketer, the person who, who knows how to get to the right answers and, and helps then kind of uh, accelerate uh, where we are as a business. I think that's important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you. Let's, let's talk about the marketing team in a, in a little bit more detail. Are there any particular new and emerging roles that you're seeing that you think will differentiate the best B2B SaaS marketing teams in coming years? Thought leadership is, is a huge area uh, around content, around so earned and owned uh, content. That I believe is is um, an area that you'll see increasingly important, and and you know for instance you look at here at OpenPath we've got three great writers uh, uh, in in our in our team, and the company's you know a startup it's it's eighty plus people, and three of the eighty plus people are phenomenal writers. That shows the importance of of writing. We have one who's got more of a technical focus. Uh, which is critical, obviously, for for the space that we're in. Uh, we have a, a media relations uh, writer, uh, again, around the Aaron media aspect of what we're doing. And then we also have a, a copywriter who bridges that gap between, you know, Aaron media and own media. And all of those work very close together, very harmoniously in what they do. I think that's an example of content that's been created that is incredibly valuable and um, and I think more and more organizations uh, you see doing that. I see a lot of writers, great journalists going from uh, the world of journalism into the brand side um, mm -hmm. and so forth. So I think that's a trend 
that you're going to see increase quite rapidly. One trend that I'm starting to see in B2B SaaS companies is heads of marketing reporting to CROs, um, to chief revenue officers. Any thoughts there on you know pros and cons? Because I'm I, I can see some pros, I can see some cons, but curious to hear your take. Yeah. Um, I think marketing is very important for marketing uh, and chief revenue officer has a very sales focus, right? Which can be more short term. Marketing is the value of the brand and what you're creating, which is a very, very long term objective. And we've all experienced those situations where there's short term sales decisions made to make a certain goal that may not be an ideal brand objective. So. Um, I think it's very important uh, that marketing is an equal uh, chair at the table in the senior management team. I think when it gets kind of subsumed under uh, sales, uh, it limits its ability and it decreases its, its value within an organization. So I would be highly encouraging to as any CEO and any team to ensure marketing reports in, in at the highest level and has an equal seat at the table as all the other senior leadership functions. I'm going to share with you another trend now. Um, so one of my uh, kind of bets for 2021 is that diversity, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, which, um, you know, three separate things as another one of my podcast guests has shared um, eloquently with me. Um, but the diversity and equity inclusion initiatives get formalized, measured, expanded, made real, um, and um, and that you know we're not just talking about diversity, but we're really doing something in a more systematic way. Um, agree, disagree, and what it, what are you doing around that that might be unusual around hiring for diversity, or or how are you being inspired by what other companies are doing for diversity advancement? Yeah, I mean, if it can't be measured, sorry, if it's not measured, then it can't be measured, right? <laughs> so I think that's really, really important. So it's one thing stating it, but if you don't have a program in place to achieve it, then it's it's moot. So um, I think it's very, very important that that you as an organization define what that looks like for you, and then you put in place uh, the program to do so. Like for instance, with the firms that we work with on talent, you know, uh, we very clearly understand what their goals are and how they manage uh, talent coming in from a diverse, diversity standpoint, right? And if and once I couldn't describe that to us, they're no longer working with the company. So that's one mm -hmm. example of you know really working with all the avenues that you have on promoting. And, and ensuring that you have that diversity and inclusion. Uh, I'm also personally a big believer in mentoring. Um, um, I don't necessarily have as much time today because we're in a, I'm in a startup world, but you know, I, I, it is an important focus for me. And as a Falcon, about 25 to 30% of my time was spent in mentoring. All right, so it was very, very important to me. Uh, give you an example, we had one individual who was very much focused on digital marketing, uh, all the web stuff that we would do. And I knew that person had, had tremendous talent. And when it was coming to CES, uh, we encouraged that person to participate in, in helping design out our, our physical experience at CES. And Belkin has an 8,000 square foot booth at CES, pretty large, right? It's very, very important for us as a company. 
and that person did amazing work for us at CES. We were thrilled what that person did. And that's an example of, of recognizing that talent, a, a, a female who, you know, historically may have just been focused on the web and, and we gave that avenue to that person. Now that person is, the, is an ACD in the in-house agency. Mm -hmm. So again, I think part of it is not just mentoring, but the other part is giving people the opportunity to participate in areas they historically haven't. Uh, and if it makes sense, you don't want them to fail per se, right? But you want to certainly give them a chance to succeed and grow from and have a learning experience and and so forth. And that person just blew everyone's socks off. Mm, mm, that's wonderful. And it also connects to your earlier theme about marketers contributing across other areas of business, you know, not start staying in the marketing swim lane or the swim lane to which hugely, they were hired into. Hugely important. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's it, again, I think it's back to the point you made earlier. I, I, and I think this is true of any good marketer. They're a good business person first. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, a good marketer is, you know, an innately curious person, always yeah. wanting to know, always wanting to understand. And they're a life, a lifelong learner. And yeah. uh, I think that's critical. And also, you know, things that, you know, when I talk to people um, you know, through the interview process and it comes out in those conversations, you know, what they read, what media they consume, you know, and that points to kind of their level of curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's really important to me as well. What do you see in terms of marketing tech trends for 2021? Yeah, I think, you know, we've all seen the, the various um, charts out in the marketplace of all the various companies providing solutions in, in different subsectors, right? In ad tech, martech, media tech, uh, customer tech, right? Customer care, you name it. And I think the big challenge uh, a lot of these companies provide is they may have a great, very single point solution, but how it fits into the broader marketing stack is, is, is the bigger question. And, and as you try to insert more and more of these in, they start to increase the complexity. And that's not what you want, right? You want to reduce complexity. You want to reduce friction. You want to have one source of the truth uh, so that it's universal and you're all tracking to that. So I think it's, 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 it's amazing uh, you see the amount of pitches from folks that are saying we're the best at X. And X is something I don't even care about right yeah. <laughs> you know and they waste their time doing that and i think that's a big mistake um you know you have companies that are just built based on on kind of the ecosystem around certain brands um you know no one startup and all they do is create apps for shopify now that's great uh they've identified a need on shopify and the way you can use that plug and play app um ecosystem that's probably pretty good but can you imagine you know, 10 years ago saying, all I'm gonna do is build apps for, you know, uh, an e-commerce platform, a payment platform, you know. Um, it, it's amazing where opportunities arise. But again, I get tons of pitches and that's all people say, we do X beautifully and X does not matter to me. X mm -hmm. is not my problem. You wouldn't believe the amount of pitches I get for people who would talk about retention marketing right? That's not an issue we have. We're, we're a four-year-old company, two and a half years live. And retention is not an issue for us, right? We're so new. Acquisition is, you know, one of our top marketing objectives. So why are you pitch me in retention stuff? 
Interesting. Interesting. Well, especially you were saying there's high switching costs for your customers anyway. So yeah, there, there is um, a, a barrier, but again, you, you, you're only as good as the value you bring to the customer. And we're constantly bringing new solutions to the marketplace. You know, uh, examples are, you know, lockdown solution for schools and universities and for business. When the company first started, um, you know, that was not necessarily something we had right out of the gate. We launched it in the fall of, of 2019, this amazing lockdown solution that was pushed out by a, a firmware. Now these solutions are available for all of our customers. So they're constantly getting value uh, each and every month from us. So that's what's beautiful, you know, surprise and delight your customers, give them, you know, an ongoing value that they never even anticipated. And that's, that's a winning solution. Great. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Kieran. Is there any, um, as just your final question here, are there, do you have any final words of advice on what B2B SaaS CMOs can do differently in 2021 um, to be wildly successful? Well, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I would never uh, say, you know, here's what you should do, right? Because again, it varies on what the objectives is or the market they're in. I think the key thing is empathy for your customer, understanding what their needs are and understanding what their internal constituent needs are. Like for instance, at OpenPath, we focus on delightful end user experiences. So those will be the employees and visitors of companies. Those aren't the people that buy our product. Those aren't the economic mm -hmm. buyers, right? Within the company that buy our product. But if you, if you focus on the right outcomes with the right audience, then everyone else in that kind of chain that leads to that will be equally delighted. And I think that's really important. So you, I cannot say this enough, constantly doing research, constantly talking to prospects and users about you know, what they like about uh, the brand experience, areas that you truly delight them, areas that you know, uh, maybe areas for improvement uh, doing that, I think, is, is an ongoing uh, program that any CMO, any marketing organization should have. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of like ongoing paranoia of not being good enough, you know, and, but bringing that yeah. into the, to the customer listening um, aspect yeah, of the it, job. It, yeah, you're just constantly talking to them about, um, you know, what's going on in their world. And things change very quickly. Can you imagine the conversation a year ago versus now, right? You know, mm -hmm. with, you know, uh, in our space with, you know, people that are responsible for the workplace, for facilities, for real estate, uh, and for IT, right? Because we're a cloud company and software as a service, IT is much more involved in the, in the purchase decision, which is great because they recognize the value of what we bring. And so we have a diverse range of audiences and understanding their, their needs and, and, and how we provide uh, and close that gap to address their needs is very, very important. So again, constantly talking to your channel, to your end users, to customers, to prospects, I think really helps you keep grounded. Fabulous. Well, Kieran, thank you for being on the show. It's been great to have you. Thank you, Erica. Lovely and, and uh, wishing everyone a great 2021 ahead. Thanks for joining us today for The Get. Join us next time with another guest. Till then, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify so you don't miss a thing.